Hello and welcome to this week's Next Sense Institute podcast. My name's Trudy Smith and I am your host. Really excited to have this, this year's host of our Blind and Low Vision Masterclass series, Peter Cracknell, who's joining us to talk about the series, but also to talk a little bit about his background in assistive technology. So welcome, Peter. Can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Oh, thank you, Trudy. Hi, I'm Peter Cracknell and I'm what's called a vision technology specialist for quantum reading, learning vision. So um, what does that mean? Well, a vision technology specialist will be focusing on um, mostly electronic technology that assists blind and people with low vision, um, but uh, can include low tech top, uh, technology as well. So um, I work with um, people across all age ranges from very, very young, from three and four, all the way up to 104. And so that's um, with families, people who are at school, university, in employment and in retirement as well. Um, a little bit about a bit about quantum. Uh, so we uh, started in 1980, and as a research and development company and a manufacturer of braille technology, and have expanded into other fields of low vision and so on as well. And uh, three years ago, we were actually acquired by Vision Australia, and so we're a separate vision, business division of Vision Australia. Uh, I'm based in Brisbane, but I do have a national role supporting my colleagues both internally, but also my teacher colleagues, uh, especially with Braille and uh, uh, screen reading technology across the whole country. Great. Thank you for that. How did you get started in assistive technology, Peter? Gosh, uh, yes. How did I get started? Um, I, I don't know. It's, uh, when I say by accident, I was actually working in the theatre in London back in the 80s, um, mainly front of house. And at that time, back in 1989, back in London, the government imposed a directive, a, a disability directive, that all public spaces should be accessible. And as I was front of house in the theatre management department, it fell on me to... <laughs> to look at the accessibility of the theatre I was in and uh, suggest improvements, which I did over a year or so, and we did. Uh, English National Opera did actually institute some major accessibility improvements so that we could encourage people who were uh, of a range of disabilities to come to the theatre. And that's where I actually got involved with disability in general, and I um, then saw advertised a job, very simple, advert, it said, do you think you could teach blind people to use computers? <laughs> Deceptively I saying, simple, I suspect. <laughs> I, I that, that probably threw a lot of people off. <laughs> I, and I was just totally intrigued because, of course, I'd met blind people through my work with uh, English National Opera. I'd um, obviously learned a bit about uh, Braille and audio production so that we could uh, communicate with our patrons and so on. And I'd also, at that time, was very interested in computers, and I was actually doing some uh, teaching of computers uh, to, to support my colleagues at English National Opera. And I thought, well, that's a great combination. And so I applied and was then employed by Telesensory UK uh, for a couple of years there in London before I um, made the migration to Australia in 1996. 
It's so great to have you in, in Australia and, and working for Quantum. I would be remiss if I didn't ask what changes International Opera made to make it more accessible. The, the first thing, um, and this is actually interestingly often true of a lot of the disability field, is we obviously the first thing we think about is um, mobility access. So we looked especially at uh, how people in wheelchairs could actually be accommodated. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very true of the way we think about disability is that oftentimes the obvious disabilities, such as mobility disabilities, uh, are the ones that people think of when they think of disability. The less obvious ones, like the inability to read, uh, they're, they're not visible <laughs> disabilities. No. Uh, they have, it, well, a significant impact on people's engagement and community engagement, quality of life. So um, that, that became increasingly clear to me, uh, you know, what we were addressing in mobility. We were addressing some of the hearing, hearing issues. We, we put some hearing uh, uh, Sennheiser systems in so that people who were hard of hearing could have amplification anywhere in any seat of the auditorium. And there was 2,000 seats. So it was a very big, very big Very theater. big theatre, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think one of London's largest, the Coliseum is one of the largest theatres in London. Um, but then increasingly it was about, well, how do we, how do we help people who are blind to enjoy the opera? And so in our communications and, and so on. So we set up a newsletter in Braille and audio um, so that uh, we could transmit information about upcoming events to, to people who are blind and low vision. And uh, yes, so uh, that's also where I met Sir Colin Lowe for the first time. Uh, he, at that time, he wasn't Sir Colin, but uh, <laughs> and so of course, he himself and, and others really inspired me about the possibilities for people who are blind to, to succeed and partic participate in public life. So, yeah, it's, yep. um, that's Sounds like, it's Yeah, really fascinating work. And I, I think you've probably alluded a little bit to this, but why is assistive technology so important? It's, um, it's something that we... You know, I think assistive technology perhaps throws us off a little bit. It sounds highly technical. And we, we you know, we think about motorised wheelchairs and eye gaze tracking devices and uh, we, we think about those things. We think about Stephen Hawking and uh, his communication devices. They're very high tech things, but I, I think we forget that we all, all of us use assistive technology. Uh, so, for example, I use assistive technology in two ways. So I wear hearing aids mm -hmm. and I wear glasses. <laughs> if you think about As do I. That's right. So, and that, that is assistive technology. And optometrists often talk about how um, uncorrected vision is the leading cause of blindness in the world. And, and, and that is technically true, but it's such a simple technology that we don't think of it as technology. So um, this is even in a, another way, we could talk about elevators being assistive technology. So that's what I mean. It's, it's obviously important to all of us, uh, but for people who have a severe disability, a mobility disability or a reading disability, uh, if, if one could imagine not being able to read, for example, and the 
the implications, if you think about it, are so vast for employment uh, and for enjoyment of life uh, that, uh, that it, it's just almost inconceivable if we didn't have, have it. And this is why assistive technology, such as Braille, for example, is just so liberating for people uh, to, to have access to literature uh, and information, of course, uh, when one would not have that access in any other way, this pre-audio recordings and so on, pre-computers. Uh, that, that was one of the most liberating things uh, that came out of the, the Victorian period and has been truly liberating for blind people and continues to be. Yes. So yes, why is it important? It's everywhere and it's, it's liberating, it's independence. Uh, and it's engagement. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Agree with all of that. What's your favourite piece of assistive technology? I mean, obviously you use hearing aids and, and glasses, but yes. you, know, you get to engage in all of the fabulous resources that are available. Right. So what's yeah. your favourite piece? I've thought about it, Trudy, and it's um, because I've seen so many different sorts of assistive technology, high tech, low tech. Um, and when I think about the devices I've seen in my particular field, I think about the ones that have some legit longevity to them, ones that continue to be useful. And um, I, I've thought, of, thought about it long and hard, and obviously electronic magnifiers are very, you know, they've been absolutely revolutionary for people. But when I was thinking about it, I thought, no, what's a device that seems to keep, keep on keeping on and is still useful and um, I'm thinking something like the clear reader. Now the clear reader, um, I'll hold one up to the microphone. Through <laughs> <laughs> the power of radio we're going to show you what this looks like. <laughs> For those who use that they can see this uh, <laughs> the clear reader is about the size of a radio, like a kitchen radio. But it has a camera that looks down at paperwork and some very tactile buttons. So a blind person can place a book or a brochure underneath the camera and physically locate a button, press it, and within a few seconds it's speaking out loud in, in, a, in a very clear voice through the speakers. So why do I like that? Well, I like it because the design was deliberately familiar to people. It wasn't confronting. It resembled a radio. So... I, I think that's a crucial factor in assistive technology. That it, it's, you don't want to put people off and you don't want to make people look different and you want it to work. Yes. So it's reliable. It performs a very good function for reading any printed material. Uh, and it's, um, yeah, it's engaging for people and it has been keeping on, keeping on for some years now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a, probably my favourite piece of technology. Um, the, another, another thing, and again, it's not high-tech, it's low-tech. Uh, again, I'm holding it up for the microphone, Trudy. <laughs> it's this thing called the Draftsman's Kit. And it's just basically a platform with a piece of acetate, just a piece of flimsy plastic on a rubber board that a blind child can use a regular biro to draw tactile shapes and then feel them back again. It seems sort of so simple and toy-like, but one of the things I think that we forget about uh, 
the interaction between sighted people and blind people is that it shouldn't be a one-way street where we give them materials to consume. That's the way it often is done. But isn't it wonderful when they can produce and and uh, communicate in the other direction? And and so there are very few opportunities for that to happen for blind children. And so I think things like the drafting kit, not electronic, just very simple, very immediate, very spontaneous. It, it's a great space where where you know we can learn together, sighted and blind together. So that's a simple example. The draftsman kits. I think you've, you've chosen two things that really heighten, as you talked about earlier, the importance of giving independence yeah. and, and also that not being different. I think, you know, anyone between the age of sort of 8 and 22 is mortified if they appear different to everybody else. And even though you're maybe blind or have low vision and you can't see people looking at you, you know that people are looking at you and comparing you to different. And so things that look normal and like everybody else's is, is always going to be much more... Um, I guess appealing to that audience, isn't it? That, that, that getting around that that need to be like everyone else. Yes, it it, it is a very important factor to say, especially in that uh, secondary school group. Uh, so we often see primary school children very engaged, very well supported, and uh, very enthusiastic. But then something happens at thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> I think every parent in, in the world would tell you that, Peter. <laughs> yeah. And some, some of the uh, students carry on and they continue to be very independent and engaged and, and those, they, those children will always succeed. They're, they're just very self-motivated and they don't care. They just, you know, they, they know why they're there and they're just going to achieve it. But the majority will, will need a lot of um, careful, careful handling. Um, it's so easy to lose a child just close up and so the job of everybody else the teachers teacher aides parents and people like myself uh, occupational therapists should always be really paying attention to that very human element as well um, I think we all understand that that uh, some children will not not just use technology but they just won't use the regular classroom materials that they are meant to be using yeah so then when you add in the fact that they have a vision impairment and they need a special telescope to look at the board or they need a screen reader to speak in their ear or a braille display, it's so identifying. And the, the very first thing we need to do is to in, include the class, include the teacher aides, the, uh, everybody else in that whole process so that it becomes a positive thing that everybody can see how cool the technology is and, and they want some themselves. So... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that is, and that is a very good selling point. Peter, you're, as I said, our, our Blind and Low Vision Masterclass presenter for this year, and we're, we, that begins on the 6th of May. We've got six topics that I can't wait for. What are you looking forward to sharing in the series? Well, I, I think um, I want to I'd say it's not really just about um, the current technologies. Uh, it's really about that interaction, about how do we actually successfully use, you know, put them in the classroom and, and also for older people too. And how, how do we do that best? And uh, So, for example, there's the issue of trialling equipment, trialling at home in the, in the classroom, and including all the stakeholders at that point. 
uh, say that, that that's that's a very important with kicking off with that really about trials and recommendations that's going to be the first topic um so it's very much not just about um me meeting with a teacher a vision teacher and, and a child it's including a parent including the, the assistant principal whoever else that needs to be part of this making it work um, so and then of course discussing not just the equipment but you know is, is it really it might be the perfect piece of equipment for the child's hand but the child is going to trash it so maybe <laughs> we need to get a plan b sometime so uh, so we need to take in all those those uh, those things, those real practical things. Um, in, in the second topic, I'm talking about alternative input, and what I mean by that is for people that can't use QWERTY as a typing, uh, you know, input method, are there alternatives? And there are, and so we'll be looking at that, especially in the area of the deafblind mm -hmm. people. There are many, many factors there that, that we need to consider. Uh, so, and also this whole issue of people who have a degenerative disability where they haven't engaged with technology, but they need to later in life. So, so we have to talk about ways that these people can engage. How do they input? How do they output using the technology? Um, I've already touched on a little bit with you just now about you know, acceptance and inclusion in the classroom. So um, that's that's something I'm very interested in. We'll be really covering that in, in the third in the third topic. And in the fourth topic, I'll be talking about reading. That's not the obvious issues of reading, which you know, obviously, if one is blind, one cannot read print. But there are many people who are not blind that struggle to read print mm -hmm. and sometimes it's a cortical issue sometimes it's a an issue of dyslexia or, or some similar condition but i've observed over the years that there's a whole range of clues that people give when they're looking at print i have them in front of an electronic magnifier and they're struggling to read and I, I go through a series of steps to try and identify what their issue is. And then, of course, that could lead to some solutions, perhaps. So, mm -hmm. um, I think the, the next topic, which is topic five, about adjusting the instructive method to suit the individual. So, again, that obviously applies in a classroom situation, but it very much applies for older people, too. So... Many times I've seen elderly people who will throw up a whole heap of barriers to accepting technology or solution. The obvious one is, oh, I'm too old for all this stuff. Uh, so it's a very common situation. I'll have family saying, Mum, you really, you really should be looking at this stuff because I'm not here all the time. Yeah. And you give your medication, you have your, your correspondence to read and, and so on. So it, there's a lot of psychology in helping people come to feel comfortable with making a change in their life and embracing something that is unfamiliar. So the, the person that's introducing the technology plays a really important role. And they have to be 
they have to have some life experience. <laughs> they, Absolutely, they, yep. They, they really do. And I, I see this all the time um, with young, um, young optometrists, for example. I do do... Uh, I, I do actually do some lectures to young optometrists at the various universities, and it's just fascinating to see how they interact with real people. Mm -hmm. uh, they they come to a, a clinic uh, with a clipboard and make all the measurements and acuities and so on. And they, in front of them is an 82-year-old bushy, has come in from Warwick or somewhere, and he cracks a joke. And it's usually rude. And <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can see that the, the young optons, they it's just glazing over. They need to understand that they need to relax people. They need to, it's not just about measurement. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very much about engaging human engagement. Absolutely. Those relationships are so important. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the sixth topic is about what we call bimodal approaches. So this is about technology that combines auditory feedback and visual tracking as well. So there's two parts to reading. There's an auditory way of reading, and some people, uh, they learn very well that way, and other people really do not learn very well that way. Some people are highly visual, and uh, we, there, are, there are technologies that can combine the two so that we can adjust the amount that's auditory and the amount that's uh, visual with magnification and contrast and so on. And we can also combine it so that you can actually see words being spoken as, as they are being spoken so that you can actually identify the word. This is very, very helpful for people with reading difficulties related to dyslexia and other, other learning disabilities. And uh, it's something that uh, we, we can tweak and adjust to the individual so they get the best results. And I'll be looking at how some of the technologies that were designed for vision impaired people can flow through to people that don't have a vision impairment but can still benefit from those technologies. Uh, I think that's the, the basic areas that we'll be covering. Uh, I'll be using a lot of anonymous case studies as well. So I'll be referring to real people, but not by name. Sure. Because I think that really uh, is very important that it's not just theoretical, it's actually about real life. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's it's going to be exciting, and we're looking forward to our first session next Friday, sixth of May. Sessions are running from twelve to one um, over the next six months, and so looking forward to hearing more and digging deeper into this, Peter. But thanks for your time now, both giving us a little bit of insight into who you are, but also the content. So thanks for being with me today. Thank you, Trudy. Looking forward to it.